Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point, where this week I'm joined by Ryan Tedder. Great conversation, as always, with the One Republic frontman and one of the busiest and most in-demand songwriters in music. Hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Thanks. Cool. Where are you today? Uh, I am in West Hollywood. Nice. Wait, I'm in, like, Westchester, and it was raining this morning. How is it there? It is... I mean, I was just texting my manager saying, um, I'm going to have a real <laughs> crisis of conscience if the weather that has happened in LA this year becomes like an actual thing. Like everyone here that lives here is like just praying that this is an isolated year. Cause, um, I just took a photo of the sky. I mean, it's basically, it's been like the coastal England, what type weather since January. It has just been gray skies. We've had the most rain that LA has had in 50 years. And which, yeah, we, you know, we need obviously because the drought, it's now kind of solved that problem. But, you know, LA's got a lot of its own issues. And one of the constants that everybody, the one constant thing that you can at least rely on it for is that kind of, you know, dopamine kick you get from sunny, sunny skies and palm trees and beautiful weather pretty much 365. And this year we have friends that moved to London in August and they've been tracking the weather in both cities this whole year. It's been rainier, like, like considerably grayer and rainier in LA than London for the last nine months. So anyway, that's no. LA. It's not great. No, dude. I get, well, when I say Westchester, I mean by LAX. So actually I'm in LA. Oh, so you know, because- I thought you meant Westchester, New York. No, so I, I feel you though because I've been trying to get the girl that I hang out to move here from New York. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, every, and she was just in Rochester with family and then she comes out here. She's like, what the fuck? It's fucking warmer in Rochester. Why am I here? Yeah. Yeah, it literally is. It's like upstate. You you know there's an issue when upstate New York is warmer than than LA and better weather. And like I, I uh, you know, I, my uh, parent, two of my parents live in, um, in Tulsa and this year I talked them into, you know, my my mother hates uh, winter, like hates the gray skies, the cold, the dead, everything. So I finally was like this year for the first time, convinced them to come out. I got them a place in Manhattan Beach for like two months. And like two days after arrival, it turned into, like I said, coastal England. And it stayed that way the entire time they were here. And I felt so bad. It was cold. It was colder here than it was in Tulsa. Yeah, no, I told her. She's like, why am I here? I'm like, dude, if you want to go home, I'll put you on a plane back tomorrow. There's still yeah. other things to LA, but yeah. Well, cool. Enough weather because we only have a half hour and there's so much yeah, to go. talk to you about as always. But uh, no, I, it's funny though because, well, in reality, um, what's interesting about it is I talk about this with artists all the time. Look, man, if you're like, um, I don't know if you remember the Finnish band, Him, uh, H-I-M, and the lead singer, Ville Valo. Good dude. But we talked about this if you're a band coming from a place that's typically dark and gothic and you come yeah. to LA, it does influence your writing or like Nana from of monsters and men. We were just talking about this, but now all of a sudden you come here thinking that you're going to write beach Boys songs and you find yep. yourself writing, you know, REM is the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's a, that's, you're not wrong about that. LA is, I was, I, right before this zoom started, I texted my manager um, LA now is not the LA I moved to. It's just a different, it's a different scenario. And obviously wherever you live is heavily plays an influence and impacts the type of, the type of music that you make. So are you now making Gothic heavy metal music? 
I pretty much, yeah. I, I've I've uh, I've just been listening to OTEP and trying to figure out how I can get, glean inspiration from OTEP and do some scream core and some, some gothic, you know, Scandinavian death metal. Well, I mean, it makes sense now that it rains twenty four, uh, you know, twenty four hours a day. Even though climate control, climate crisis isn't real, but yeah, there is that aspect <laughs> to it too. Yeah, that's not real. We're just imagining it. Yeah, I know. Just because it like rains in LA now, four hundred sixty two days a year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 all bogus. <laughs> but it is funny because again, like I said, it does influence. It. So it's in- it's been interesting for you. I mean, I know you guys have a single coming out the end of the month. You yeah. know, talk about you're always working with everybody. You know. Let's go deep in songwriting because this is really fascinating. I've been talking with people constantly of late about the process of songwriting is almost like channeling. And Ben Harper, yes. who is just genius, is the guy who put it best. And he's like, yep. if you have your antenna up, the universe just feeds you. I'm curious for you, was there a moment for you where you first found that as a songwriter? And what's particularly interesting as well, though, when you work with so many different people. Yes. Do you, I guess it's interesting. Do the channels come to you in different ways or is it something that you as a songwriter, you are just you. And then the songs kind of evolve to go to whether it's Adele or McCartney or whoever the hell it is. Yeah. So, um, more or less, I'll kind of, I use analogies for a lot of things. Um, Ben Harper's quote is, I'm going to steal that because that is absolutely fundamentally the best way to put the entire process. If you're, Antenna is up. The universe finds you. Um, I've, I've gone through chapters, a couple chapters over 20 years of writing where my antenna was down and I, and, and you know, it was either driven by insecurity or, you know, exhaustion or some combination of both. But for the, and you can tell also when you're in the flow that, Oh my God, my antenna is like a hundred feet higher today or this month or this year. And that happens too. Um, so, you know, I love architecture and I love, um, interior, you know, design. I'm not great at it, but I, I constantly scrolling through photos. Me and my wife are always looking at architecture and design photos and things like that. And the way I look at it is if you're a designer and you just have an eye for interior design and then you, you, you obsess over it and you're just obsessed with it, right? Which is for me music. It's a, like to a pro, it's actually an addiction. Um, then the artist is the house. So, I'm going from one house to another and one house might be mid-century modern. The next might be, you know, um, Victorian. The next might be craftsman, but I can still apply, you know, my aesthetic. I can kind of mold it to fit that house regardless of what the house is. And I say regardless with a little bit of, a little bit of exaggeration. There are for sure some houses I should not step foot into. Um, and I've, and I've, you know, accidentally done that like any other writer producer where you get in the session and you go, you go, eh, you know, this isn't, this isn't the best use of my time or their time. This isn't really the perfect fit. Um, but for the majority of my career, I've prided myself on being a flexible unit and, and amorphous. Um, and that for me, it was a, a, fu- a function of survival. Um, I came up in the nineties listening to me where music really influenced me was the nineties. And then in the early two thousands, I, I went professional and I saw that was the era of, um, the producer stars, the super producers. That was like the, one of the first in my lifetime. Right. And those producers all had one thing in common. Their sound was as big as the songs themselves. And that sound, I remember watching 
it ebb and flow. I'd see a, a producer blow up over the course of two or three albums, you know, working on different artists or two or three hits. And then that sound would become passe and thus their career would become passe. And so early on in 2002, probably 2003 is when I was like, okay, I got to pick a lane. And I think my lane's going to be all lane. I'm just going to be zigzagging from lane to lane. I'm going to be a utility player. I'm not going to have a quote unquote sound that is larger than me. Um, I'd rather be a Swiss army knife so that I can do this forever. Cause I, I, I don't want to have an explosion. And then that, you know, the, uh, the trail off where I can't get a, a placement. I can't get a cut. Nobody wants to work with me because they think that I just do this one thing. I'd rather be known as someone who can decorate any house. And so that's kind of coming full circle on the analogy, but that's, that's my long winded explanation of that. Well, no, it's so interesting because I mean, look, I think again, you know, it's funny you talk about being, you know, coming up in the nineties with the super producers and stuff and all this. And it's like, but again, if you look at like the best producers and songwriters, they are people who can work with everybody. But what makes them unique, of course, is that they bring their own style to it. So it's interesting for you when you look at like, I got to hang out last year with Mike Stoller. I mean, that's yeah. just incredible. You know, for yep. you, are there people that you've really enjoyed being around or learned a lot from? Or, but again, when you think back to like the Brill building and the stuff like that, which, you know, obviously you're a music geek like me, you're aware of that, even though it's from a different era, you know, it's like those people were able to work with everybody, you know, and yes, go ahead. Yeah. The Brill building is actually a great example. One of my writers references my studio in LA as like the LA Brill building. That's been my goal, actually, my my current goal, you know, we're, we're entering in, we're approaching 20 years as a band with one Republic and, um, I, you know, post the 20 year celebration, uh, you know, I don't aspire to, um, do around the world, never ending tours. Like we used to, I just, I have a wife and kids. I got a life here in LA. I love songwriting and, and touring for too long pulls me out of that game. So I think my, the second chapter of my career, uh, is, you know, we're going to keep the, you know, we're lucky enough that 16, 17 years in, we're still having hits, which I never thought would happen, but here we are. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I still have gas in the tank as far as that's concerned. But I definitely think for the second chapter of my life, I think trying to kind of recreate the Brill, Brill building, uh, you know, in modern times was definitely, you know, that that's an awesome idea for me, for me. Like I, I feed off that energy, having a house or a studio full five or six rooms, all humming, working on music um that's just like uh, it's like to me that's like uh, playing call of duty or or you know uh fortnite to a gamer that's what it feels like to me i get a, i jump from room to room and i pop in and with the different artists and you know oh fix this change that actually what you think is the chorus is actually the verse and what you think is the pre is actually the chorus and like you know doing things like that i feed off of that energy um and and the brill building is to me just a phenomenal um you know, I don't know if metaphor or example, representation of something that I wish existed currently in LA. And I've, I've been inspired by everybody from Phil Spector to the obvious usual suspects, uh, Quincy Jones and Timbaland was, you know, obviously late nineties, early two thousands, um, Steve Lily White, um, David Foster, uh, you know, um, the, the, I could, I could sit here and rattle off dozens of other producers, Brian Eno. I mean, they all have influenced me and in, that I've, taken things from um but we're in a in a unique time and i think probably in the modern sense guys like max martin hopping from who's you know a friend of mine and now collaborator like 
watching him from the early 2000s hop from it's all under the, the the banner of pop although he's done some Coldplay and stuff like that uh but i guess they're pop now too but uh he was so effortlessly would switch from artist to artist genre to genre and again that's always been more my thing i you know i'm a man without a country but in that sense i'm a man in every country and that's also how we we tour you know as a band I've, i never wanted to be an american band um at all i did not want that attachment sonically i always wanted to be like bigger in you know uh switzerland or, or south africa than we were in uh houston um and so that's kind of musically more or less how i operate as well so it's interesting for you. I mean, when you think about that in terms of being a non-American band or being an international band, and it's funny because I know, you know, you told me one of my favorite Bono stories of all time and uh, about the call from the Pope. But it's yep, interesting yeah. I did a piece a few years ago where I reviewed a show they did at, um, at Forum. And I said that they're probably the greatest American band of all time because being an Irish band, they have more yeah. appreciation for American music than most people here. And it's funny yes. because their publicist at the time, who's a good friend was like, I've never ever sent a review to Bono, but I sent this one to him and you know, he loved it. He's like, his only yep. thing is like, oh, I wish we had done this better. But for you, are there those bands that you look at that are world bands that you really appreciate for the yes. way? And it's funny because I think of like an REM, for example, who was an American band or of course, Very. obviously, you know, any great band I think is a world band. Yes. I, I, I would agree. I'd say that there are, there are some, um, you know, in, uh, there are some sonic identities uh, or tropes. I, I, I don't know if trope is the right word, but possibly that that um, attach themselves to the more like American sounding band. Right. Um, and whether that's more singer songwriter or folksy or pop punk or, um, you know, it's like, for instance, well, I'm really good friends with, uh, with you know, Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker and all the all the Blink-182 guys. Uh, Mark's my neighbor. And I worked on this upcoming uh, album. They are quintessentially an American band, but they are absolutely a global band. So that's like one of those that the thing that they created and they conjured in the early 2000s crossed every pond. They can pretty much sell the same amount of tickets everywhere in the world. Um, so there are those moments where something that's quintessentially American, um, you know, even though that's derived from the UK punk scene, if you want to take it all the way back, um, it's quintessentially American, but it's but it's global. Um, and it's funny. I, one of the highest compliments like, I got, and I don't know what my thing was. I th I'm sure if you talked to me in 2005 or six, I could tell you specifically why I didn't want to be an American band. I know a big part of it was touring. I'd already seen most of America by age 25. And I was frankly just like, okay, I've seen it. I want to see the world. So that was a big driver for me was just, I got into music. 50% uh, of the reason was to see the world legitimately to see travel, eat, take in the sites, all of it and culture. And, um, and I think the other thing was in the, the 05, 06 era, there was a lot of scene bands, post-punk, like post-pop, I don't even know what to call it. There was a lot of bands that started with the word the, like the, this, the, that, the, the other, like all the, the bands that era. And I wasn't into really any of that shit. <laughs> and it was all American. It was all, you know, Everybody here was blasting whatever, um, you know, alternative emo, emo release that era too, emo American band. And I was listening to Kasabian, right? I was listening to uh, all the Mancunia and like Elbow and like all the bands from Manchester and, and 
I was, you know, the only, the only, um, uh, publication that I was, uh, had a subscription to was Q magazine. That was my favorite music, you know, uh, magazine in, in the world. And so I think I was, I don't know, just hardwired to be more of, uh, of an Anglophile or a, a non-American, uh, centric focus band. And I think that, uh, you know, all the influences, my favorite solo artist growing up was Peter Gabriel. Um, you know, police and U2 were two of my favorite bands. It's pretty obvious coming from being, you know, raised in the eighties and nineties. Um, I loved REM, but not as much as I liked, uh, the, you know, the, the British Isle bands, um, growing up. So yeah, I don't know. There's all those, all those things that feed into it. And I'm also from, I'm also from like the most American, I don't know. It's the most American, the net, the second most American state behind Texas, right? If you're, if you're talking from just like a, a non-Americans perspective of like, what do you think of when you think of America, big highways, big stakes, like tons of space, you know, big SUVs and pickup trucks. And that's Oklahoma. And that's where I'm from. So I think I've also felt inclined to, you know, to zag, you know, and rather than, rather than lean into it, I've kind of you know, leaned away from it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Wayne Coyne's been a friend for a million years. And obviously, I mean, you know, he still lives in Oklahoma, but that's one of those yeah, bands that no one would consider an American band. No, no, no. They tra- That is one of the most anomalous fans of all time and how much they've transcended. Like, I've always thought it's wild um, that he'd never left OKC. And I lived in OKC for about five or six years. And um, he's, it's just, a, you know, he's God of that, of that uh, county, uh, the musical God of all time of that county. But for me, it's always been, I had a hard time. Um, when I'd go on tour and I'd be in like, uh, Tokyo or Paris, um, you know, or, or Bangkok. And then I'd come home to like, you know, the suburbs of Denver. I struggled with, with that. And then, you know, Denver is obviously a a more popping city than OKC, but I think that that kind of like, um, dichotomy, cultural dichotomy, I think after a number of years wore on me. And I, one of the reasons we moved back to LA was just like, I, I need to feel more like, eclectic crazy energy um you know and the sunshine which we no longer have (laughs) well wait this is really interesting i want to go back to something for you i mean if you can you know and it's funny because i talk about this with a lot of artists and the idea of you know a lot of artists of course start their own labels whatever that idea of you know wanting to work with younger artists and give back because they also feed off the energy of working with younger artists and you know it's like Benji and Joel are friends, right? The Maddens. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure you've known them for a million years. And yes. I introduced them to this artist and they want to work with her now. She's incredible and stuff and all this. And it's like, but we talked about that for all of us. It's like, if you've been around this industry a long time, you need that sort of vitality. So let's go back to this idea of this real building for you. I'm curious for you, like, what would that look like in perfect world? And yeah. if you could bring in any two or three songwriters today, that would be part of your Brill team. Who would they be? <laughs> oh man! I mean, um, well, all right. So the, the first part of the question uh, is, I'm I'm more or less doing that now. Um, you know, that I said that a, a couple songwriters made that comment recently because they were at my studio on a day when like five, all five rooms were had different pods of songwriters and artists all going at the same time. Um, and I, you know, it's kind of one of those, if you build it, they will come. And so the studio that I bought in LA, um, in 2017, I was super intimidated by it because it was too big. And it was just like, this is ostentatious as hell. And this is, 
I'm overreaching here. This is ridiculous. And it was one of those, yeah, but if you at some point have a bunch of rooms going and you're popping around doing the bro building thing, you have to have this. So it took a handful of years, but we finally got there and I have enough writers. You know, we, I, my publishing company I've had for, I don't know, 12 years, but we, I ended up getting back by Blackstone earlier this year to just continue doing what I'm doing, but actually have infrastructure, right? Have someone running ANR, have somebody. So I can't be all things to, to all people and you can't scale yourself. So now I have help. So I'm able to just do what I love the most, which is the songwriting aspect in terms of, in terms of, um, what writers, oh man, that's so tough. Cause I'd be, I'm going to be naming people that are like signed to my friends or other publishing companies. I mean, you know, like some of my favorite writers right now, um, for sure, you know, I, are, I, let me name the people that aren't signed to me. Cause that's a little self-serving. Um, but, uh, I would say that aren't signed to me, you know, the, the two guys that, that wrote flowers are really good friends of mine. Um, I actually introduced one of them to, uh, to Miley, uh, all day and, and Michael Pollack. I think they're super talented. Um, I think Omer Fetty's super talented. Uh, you know, I think, um, Ilya's super talented and circuit, you know, these guys, these are all guys that are signed elsewhere or have their own publishing companies. So most of the people that I would poach are too big to poach. <laughs> Hopefully that I answers this the other way, right? Yeah. Cause you yeah. know, I'm a big sports fan and you know, all the time you have, you know, speaking of Denver, Lakers <clears throat> just lost to the Nuggets last night. I know. I saw that. Yeah, uh, you're all time starting five. Everybody's got LeBron on there. Nothing against LeBron. But again, so, you know, your no, songwriting, your all time songwriting team, you're picking okay. from, you know, now you're just picking the greatest songwriters sure. of all time. Okay. Your draft. Um, yeah. Okay. Who's, so your, who's I, your first three? My first three would be, this may surprise nobody, but number one, Number one, seven days a week is McCartney. Um, he is a absolute freak of nature uh, that defies logic and all the everything I understand about talent. He just exceeds it. It doesn't make sense. Um, so I'd say McCartney, and I know that he's an artist that's a little bit of a whatever, but then I'd say um, writing Max Martin for sure. Um, and I'd say... Um, you know, like the, the really uh, savvy, sophisticated thing would be to say, oh, how could you not say Leonard Cohen? I think he's amazing. It's not the guy I'm putting it. I'm, if we're talking about hits, just pure volume of hits and, and consistency, um, you got to throw Quincy in there. And I know he's more producer than writer, but he's, trust me, yeah, I've talked with him about some of the biggest records he's been a part of. Uh, if it was 2023, he would have been given away, right? Um, yeah. I would say, um, oh God, this is gonna, this, this is gonna be interesting, but I would actually say Beethoven. I grew up playing classical music and all you got to do is learn one, one piece by Beethoven. And, and then you sit there and go, how the hell did this guy do this? It makes no sense. And by the way, it still hits. That shit still hits. It's incredible. Um, so it's an eclectic group. I got one more. Uh, let me think here. Pure songwriting. Um, God, I did not expect to answer that. I've never been asked this question. This is a good one, man. Um, well, now that you're more. a publishing company, sure. I know, I know, right? It's, 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 uh, uh, okay. Um, well, I feel like if I list McCartney and then don't put in Lennon, a lot of people are going to be up in arms because 
I mean, I, you know, if you want to take it back, you could, I could say, now listen, this isn't a team designed to write hits in the modern era. I'm, I'm jumping decades here. So I'm going to take it all the way back to the, one of the original hit makers, Scott Joplin. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just interesting yeah. to hear your there's, take. As a there's my, yeah. There's my, there's my top five. Like, and I know I realized I just put Max Martin in list with Beethoven, but I'm like trying to think of who did the most hits jumping like, you know, uh, eras and generations. Well, for you, it's funny. Let's go back to this and, and tie this in with the stuff you're doing now. And as you say, I mean, so obviously one republic remains active, but it makes sense that, you know, again, I think, you know, you want to change where you are. It's so funny. I was just talking with Sage about this last night and she's like, how many lives have you lived in this life? Yeah. And at yeah. least 10, you know, yeah. at least yeah. 10, been the Rolling yeah. Stone journalist, been the TV host, everything, you know, and I mean... Right now is my favorite because I'm enjoying the little things the most of all. So for you, do you feel like you're at that point now? Like I've partied at Prince's house. I'd rather have dinner with Sage and just enjoy yep. that for three hours. Yep. Yep. Do you feel I, like that's kind of where you are? at this? Because I think that's for everyone yes. as you get older. Yeah. So I got turned away. I was telling the story last week how we got turned away at the after Grammy party at Prince's house because they hit the, they exceeded the, we got invited in my whole band. We got nominated for Grammy that night. We lost to I don't know who we lost to, but we drove to Prince's house and got turned away because there was too many people in, in, in the house. Um, so I, that, all that shit was really intriguing to me um, at some point, you know, in my, in my thirties, probably my, my mid thirties, early mid thirties, that stuff was intriguing. Um, and I would say that I, I have by far um, left that era uh in the dust and I don't, I don't miss it. I would rather, um, I mean, the Grammys for God's sake, stress me out. Like it's, and it's not because am I going to win or am I going to lose? It's the, it's just the whole, um, theater of it, just all of it. And it's all the people gathered, all the things I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to work with some of the, you know, most celebrated and call it famous people, on planet earth in terms of music, I count a handful of them genuinely as friends, as lifetime friends. Um, and I've, I'm, have made it a practice to stay, you know, certain celebrities. I don't want to apply this to everybody, certain stars. Um, they're the, you know, the gravity and the temperature of their star is such that if you get too close, you get burned. Or you get, you get stuck in their gravity and everyone revolves around them. That's why they're called stars, right? And they shine. All the pick, pick your metaphor. Um, I don't, I'm not one of those people that like, I, I've never enjoyed the, Hey, let's go to the celebrity birthday. Let's go to the, let's go to the whatever party. Let's go to the after party. That stuff has always stressed me out. It just causes me anxiety. Maybe I felt like I've never belonged. That's probably, we're going to, psychoanalyze myself it's probably because in my mind i'm an imposter so i've never found this is like kid from tulsa what am i doing at so-and-so's house and there's brad pitt you know it's like never i've been to those things it takes a lot for me to feel comfortable there and i don't covet them i'd rather be home i'd rather be on a date with my wife that's the truth i'd rather be out i'd rather go out on a date with my wife than attend any of those functions or do any of that shit same as you 
Well, so it's interesting for you then. I know we got to wrap up because you got a hard out, but let's just make this last question then. Yeah. Do you find that as you've reached that point in your life that you are appreciating the music and everything more because it's just focused on the music and not every, and it's like I talk about this with people all the time when they have kids. Ellie Goulding and I were just talking about it. It changes yep. your perspective on everything and all of a sudden you realize like all the other stuff that you thought mattered doesn't really matter. So do you feel like now you're in a place 20 years into One Republic and working with all these yep. people? that you can enjoy music more because you're not concerned with all the extracurricular stuff. And it's really just about the music. Yes. 100,000%. I think anyone who knows me at this point who signed to me or his family, my wife, my kids, they would tell you that like, I've tried, every, I've tried too many things, man. I've lived, you've lived seven lives. I'm probably four. I'm probably four in, I, you know, I have a few more to go, but like I've tried everything, different businesses. I've done, you know, to different things to varying degrees of success. And I had to try it all because that's how I'm wired. I had to dip my, my toes in all the different pools. Um, but it came full circle to nothing gives me more joy and impacts the universe to a greater scale than when I'm doing what I'm exceptional at and what I love doing. Um, and that's, that's writing songs and, and, and creating music. And to that end, I'll just say this. And it's the only thing I can do that I know fundamentally changes people's lives I was, uh, I was at a, um, uh, an event. Uh, where was I? I was in Disneyland. I was at Disneyland, not an event. I was at Disneyland two weekends ago, out of the blue. We're leaving. We just watched the parade. This, this lady stops me. She's probably 35. She's with her kids and her husband and she stops me. And, and it brought me full circle to why we kept going as a band in the first place. Cause you know, of a handwritten letter that a fan had written us about how one particular song saved their life, prevented them from killing themselves. She stopped me and she got my arm. She goes, you the guy, the singer from the band from, from one Republic. I said, yep. And she goes, she said, um, you wrote the song I lived and it is the sole thing that got me through, um, cancer last year. And it was not looking good. And I survived in, in your song. I listened to it on repeat every single day. And I, it, it, it got, it literally is, you know, she was attributing it harshly to why she was still here. She was like, now I'm here at Disneyland with my kids. And I was like, there you go. And like, I, I didn't, nobody was around me when she grabbed me. So nobody heard her say it. Nobody saw it, it go down. But I was just like, you know, covered in goosebumps. And I was like, oh my God, this is, and it was just one of those moments. I was like, I get to do this. I get to do this. I worked hard, sure. But I get to do this. If you get to make music for a living, I don't care if it's 30 grand or 30 million or anything in between, You've already won the lottery. If you're going to be a part of music and that's your living, you've won the lottery because it's it's the coolest fake job I know, and it's the the one that impacts people the most. That's a great wrap up note. I know we got to jump. Anything you want to add? I didn't ask you about. Yeah, really, man. You just hit me with some some great questions. Really great. I mean, like really genuinely great. It's like wild the difference between someone who's been doing this for a long time and knows what the hell they're talking about versus someone who's running in a blog. <laughs> Yeah, no, dude, it's always great to catch up with you. Always a pleasure. Congratulations on everything. And, and yeah. Thank you, man. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Appreciate you. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Vaught, and you've been here on My Turning Point with special guest Ryan Tedder. Thanks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.